Welcome to the Runner's Roundtable podcast. Season three is all about the how-tos of running. And in this episode, I'm talking to registered dietitian and run coach Courtney Burling about all things fueling, from how to fuel before a run to how women should fuel across the lifespan. Enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Runner's Roundtable Season 3, How To's of Running. And today I am joined by Courtney Burling. We are going to talk about fuel, all the how-to's with fuel. And I am so looking forward to having this conversation because I know for myself, fueling strategies have changed and it is probably one of the most frustrating parts for me of being a runner is when I look at how I used to fuel maybe two years ago, three years ago, and how I had a strategy that felt really good. And then all of a sudden it stopped working. And the clearest example for me with that is I used to, during my marathons, I would do a combination of goo energy gels and little applesauce packets. And that worked for a while. And then one day on one of my runs, I wanted to vomit. From that. And I'm like, well, there we go. I, I guess we're done with that. And I had to go back to the drawing board. So I'm so curious to just learn from you and hear your thoughts on as much as we can cover in the next hour when it comes to fuel. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at in the world, because I think that's such a cool thing. And a little bit of your running story, running history, and how all of that comes together with nutrition, because I feel like, I mean, I know that is such a big part of what you share and I'm here for all of that. Cause it's like I said, I feel like I'm constantly learning about myself and how to, how to best take care of myself as an athlete. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Um, gosh, so Let's see. I'm Courtney Burling. I'm a registered dietitian and I really focus on female athlete nutrition. My entire business, Eat Well, Run Better, focuses primarily on female athletes and really helping female athletes fuel properly. Um, I don't believe in diets. I have a huge anti-diet approach, uh, really focus on intuitive eating, working with our bodies, not against our bodies. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that as we you know, go forth today. But um, so I am actually located in Okinawa, Japan. Um, it is a Southern Island off the coast of Japan. Um, we are living out here for three years. We've been here for two years. We have one more year. My husband is active duty military. He's in the Marine Corps. Um, he's been in for gosh, oh my gosh, 10, 11 years. You start to lose count. Um, so it's uh, a life that I'm accustomed to, um, but it's never, ever boring. And so living in Japan has been truly wonderful. Uh, we do miss our family in the States, but the Japanese culture is amazing and traveling. We've been able to travel a lot of Asia. Um, so just really, really awesome experience living out here. Um, but I have been able to maintain my business from my, most of my clients are in the States. So um, I've been able to still maintain that work, which is lovely. So anyways, a um, little backstory on me. I'll try to make this as quick as possible. Um, so I started running at a really young age, I don't know, at least middle school before middle school was gymnastics. And then really by middle school, I joined track and got more into running. And so, um, you know, I wasn't great in middle school or in high school. I wasn't like your, you know, I wasn't going to like, um, foot locker or like any of the big high school, um, national races. I wasn't great. Um, but I did end up walking on to the track and cross country team at the university of Cincinnati. And that was far and away the best decision I had ever made. I made so many great friends, became a much better runner. Um, being a student athlete was great. And I ended up meeting my husband on the team. So all good things came from that. But then afterwards, um, we got military orders to San Diego, California, which you would also think is lovely, uh, which it was. I adored it there and still have wonderful friends there. But um, he had deployed to Iraq for 10 months while we were there and we were newlyweds. So we didn't have kids. We didn't even have a dog at the time. And I poured my heart and soul into training and I got really good 
for a short period of time, but I was drastically under fueling, mm-hmm. um, not even on purpose. I was just eating healthy. I was working as a dietitian in the hospital and I was preaching healthy habits all day long. And I just took health a little too far while increasing my training. And that gap really led to overtraining, under eating, and ultimately for me, infertility issues. Um, And that ended up being really devastating for our family when my husband did get home from Iraq. Um, We spent a little over a year dealing with infertility issues, really all because I was obsessed with running in high mileage and being really, really picky about my eating and, you know, trying to focus on healthy eating. So anyways, long story short, um, I overcame this. I found what I call food freedom, broke all these food rules, you know, really found an appreciation for my body and understanding that running is a gift and is never something that we should abuse. Um, And so we ended up having a baby and then we had another and I'm currently 28, 29 weeks pregnant with my third. Um, So things are going well in that department. Um, But from that it made me realize I'm not alone. So many female athletes easily become either obsessed with running, obsessed with mileage or activity in general, or and or under fueling, um, whether it be on purpose or on accident. You know, this idea that we need to lose weight to get faster is just absolutely bogus. And um, so I started this business, Eat Well, Run Better, to teach female athletes that we don't have to do anything drastic. We don't need to diet in order to get faster. We need to fuel properly. And when we fuel properly, we can do this so much better and for so much longer. So that's my story. (laughs) I appreciate you sharing all of that because I, I take issue with, I mean, I take issue with a lot of things. I feel like (laughs) within the running community, particularly with things with runners and one of the things I, I just take such big issues whenever there's generalizations are when people get so like, oh, this is the rule. And the reason why I take issue with that is because one, people are unique, but also two, a lot of these rules that are established are based on male physiology or based mm-hmm. on studying, just studying men, studying college age men. And that's something that that just always frustrates me. And I always, I see this all the time. I'm like, I just wish more people would put like an asterisk, something like some kind of disclaimer in their posts or in the information that they're sharing that this is information based off what works for me or something that these are generalizations because I find that sometimes on social media or wherever it is you're getting your information, it takes effort to kind of look into things and to question it. Mm-hmm. and not a lot of people want to put that effort into it. So I find that, I guess that's the question that I have for you in terms of just in your experience, how do you have that conversation with people? Because if you have someone and you mentioned it, right? If you have someone that says, Courtney, I want to get faster and I need to lose 10 pounds because that is such a big thing. How do you start to have that discussion with them? Or even when you have people come to you and they say, I saw this online and, oh, intermittent fasting. I want to try intermittent fasting with running. This is what I saw online, or this person is doing this, or this is what I read about it. How do you respond to that? Or how do you open up a dialogue about that? Yeah. I mean, those are great questions. And so I get that all the time, both sides of those, the intermittent fasting and the just, I need to lose weight in order to do X. And the biggest thing I preach is your weight and your health are not synonymous. They like your, your health is not driven by your weight. And that's the biggest myth that I think that's out there. And if you don't want to believe me, there's an entire book on it called Health at Every Size. It's fantastic. Um, There's many other books, but that's kind of like the one that started the whole movement. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what we have to understand is that 
you know, yes, the professional runners do look a certain way. I'm not going to deny that. They are thin, but they're genetically thin. They were like Shalane Flanagan's mom was a professional runner. Like they have it deep rooted in their genetics. And so we don't want to take your body. If you're not genetically made in born into a thin body and force you to be thin, because that's going to create underfueling. Underfueling can lead to stress fractures and burnout and injury, illness, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's not going to help us reach our goals. Instead, we need to appreciate your genetics and just learn to fuel so that you can train again and again and again and you know link training cycles together without injury. And that's how we're really going to get faster. I appreciate that because there we're all so unique. And I, you know, oftentimes on the podcast, I give myself as an example, because I want people to know I'm still struggling. Like I have been, I have been running consistently at the capacity that I have for over a decade now, and I'm still figuring it out. And I think back to, <laughs> well, first of all, I'm thinking to, to what you posted recently about like the marathon or getting through a discussion without saying marathon <laughs> and the dance. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm talking about marathoning again. And, but I find that for me, the reason I, I talk about the marathon so much is because it is such a big distance and you really can't hide any deficiencies in fueling with a marathon. At least in my experience, it's like, if something's not working, the marathon is really going to highlight it, whether it be how you're fueling or not doing what you need to do to prevent injury, it's, it's going to come up. So I think back to, I did, I ran the Chicago marathon in 2021. And during that training cycle, I tried fasted running because I saw people doing that and waking up early and doing the fasted running. I had the worst brain fog on my runs. I would hit mile three and it just felt like someone put a cloud of sleep over me, very sluggish. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to figure out, wait, what is happening here? Like, why is that? Then I realized, oh, you need to eat. Like, that's part of it. But it would also happen on my long runs. I would do my long runs and I would be wiped out for the rest of the day. Yeah. Could not. I would come home. I would stretch and I could not keep up with my family. And for a minute there, I was like, oh, it's because I'm older and I'm changing and I'm an older athlete. I can't bounce back as much. And then again, I had that aha moment of, yeah, the reason why you feel so tired is because you're eating the same amount of food after a 16 mile run that you eat after a five mile run. There's a disconnect there. So I share that because I'm sure you see people like that as well. And I didn't do it. And like, I love that you said, on purpose or on accident, because for me, it was totally accidental. I just wasn't thinking about that. How do you encourage people to eat more and mm. just like, like connect the dots of how you feel for a five mile run? Isn't how you're feeling for a 16 mile run, particularly in, if you're working with people in the States, I'm going to assume a lot of them are like me where they finish the run and they need to stuff something quick in their face, shower, and then continue on with their day. So how yeah. do you convince people you should eat more? Like it's, it's okay to eat more. Yeah, that's a really good question because I, and, it, and that's actually what my program focuses so much on because we have a fear of weight gain. Um, I think our society as a whole is very fat phobic where, you know, we, we want to always be losing weight. I mean, the, the, diet industry is a $72 billion industry. Everything is about dieting and weight loss. And so the message that we're inundated with is to lose weight, eat less, move more every single day. That's what's flashed in front of our faces. And so then when you have somebody like me come in and tell you the opposite of like, well, you need to, you know, really take those rest days and you need to eat more. It can feel really scary. So I work a lot with runners on understanding where is that fear of weight gain or fear of eating more carbohydrates? Where does that come from? And a lot of runners end up finding that it's really deeply rooted into their childhood um, without going, you know, too much into the psychology, you know, the way you were raised, the 
way your mother spoke, if your mom was on a diet, um, you know, just kind of like habits that were instilled in you throughout your family childhood life um, really affect the way that we're able to fuel our bodies, even as a runner. So we have to uncover those roots in order, you know, just like, uh, like a weed, right? You can't just trim the top. You have to get to the root cause of it. But then journaling through this and understanding, like you just said, making that connection of like, wow, when I eat more, I feel so much better. When I eat less, this is what I feel. And when you start to like put this down on paper or like really reflect on this, it makes you want to do it right more and more and more. When you're actually seeing the results fall out, like right in front of your face, it becomes easier to do it time and time again. Yeah. I mean, I have like a study of one right here with myself (laughs) because I do have two marathon builds where I can compare that to where again, that that Chicago 2021 build and I could not function after my long runs. Again, I would have runs, lots of brain fog, but that's what it was. I, that's what it was. I read an article that was like, brain fog happens when you're starved. Like, and I was like, Oh no, I'm starving myself. I don't want (laughs) to do that. And, but I do have the comparison of, of Chicago. And then I recently ran London and in that, build, I made sure I, my, my post run breakfast is oatmeal. And I just love my oatmeal The the Kodiak oatmeal is a really good one. Cause it's got like a high amount of protein. I like it. I started doubling that up. Like I would have two packets of that, or I would just double up whatever my breakfast was. And le- I can tell you that part of that what I realized too was fueling, right? And tell me if this is just me or if you've seen this as well. Fueling right after my run, it actually improved my appetite for the rest of the day because that was something that was happening to me as well where I would eat something, but again, it wasn't enough. And then I I, I felt like I was stuffing the food down my throat because I knew I had to eat. And then the rest of the day, my stomach would be messed up. And I used to think it was because of all the gels I had on the run that was doing it. But I realized that with this training cycle, like I was actually hungry. Like I would have what I felt was like a proper breakfast. And then throughout the rest of the day, I was like, okay, come on, bring on the food. Is that, I guess the question is, is that normal? Like when you fuel properly, do you actually have more hunger cues? Absolutely. I mean, you completely nailed it with that last sentence there. When you fuel properly, you have better hunger cues or more accurate hunger cues. Because what on the flip side of this, let's say you didn't fuel properly afterwards, you didn't have a proper breakfast, if you will, then you're likely to maybe not feel so hungry most of the day. But then what do you think happens? It hits you the next day. You're like ravenous the next day. And then if you're somebody who's an avid calorie counter, which I disagree with, if you're a calories in, calories out mindset, well, the next day is probably a really short run or a rest day. So now what are we going to do? Now we're so hungry from that, that you know long run the day before but we're not as active that day. Are we going to allow ourselves that food? So it really starts to create that imbalance Mm. if that's making sense to you. Um, But you nailed it. Like I said, if you eat that proper breakfast, those hunger cues will fall into place much, much easier. That does make a lot of sense because again, I'm thinking back to myself because I did more. I have in front of me on my wall, I created a pillar's of the London marathon. Like I had my pillars, like what I was doing, kind of the goals for each day in a week. The And one of my big goals was nutrition throughout mm. the entire training cycle. And it was nutrition <clears throat> all around, the before the run, during the run, after the run, I wanted to nail it because I, I've come to realize, I'm, I, I've come to realize, like I'm sure many people do that when you feel right or when you feel better, you do feel better. So I wanted it to be that when I went into the race, fueling and my nutrition was not something that I was going to worry about, right? Like I wanted to go into that race feeling well fed. (laughs) I wanted to go into the race feeling like I was ready for it. So again, I feel like it's so interesting because we're talking about food, but the undercurrent to all of that is our mind and how mm-hmm. our minds need to be deprogrammed for that. 
And again, yeah. the question I always ask is, or the question I have, and I feel like I just keep asking you like, but how do we do that? Like, how do we start to deprogram that? Yep. And that just takes time. And unfortunately in our world, we like things to be instant. You know, we like Instacart, Instagram, Amazon, you know, in 24 hours or whatever it is now it's two weeks in Okinawa in case you're wondering, um, <laughs> but, uh, must, must be nice in the States. Um, but you know, we, we want instantaneous things and it just takes time. A lot of these, you know, diet culture thoughts are rooted in, you know, a decade or more of our lives. And so it's just something that we have to reframe every day when we see a message about dieting or weight loss, or we see something that seems very questionable on Instagram, instead of believing it or trying it, we need to either A, research it much more and make our own decision on it, or B, delete that Instagram or unfollow those accounts. We need to start diversifying our Instagram feeds and following different body types and different outlets. You know, like your inputs affect your output. So what you're seeing every day really affects your mindset. And so following those more positive accounts versus the weight loss accounts. And anytime you have those thoughts of, I need to lose weight or I hate my body because I look like X, Y, Z, you know, no, we need to switch those thoughts. I'm so appreciative that I have legs that allow me to run and I have arms that allow me to hug my kids. And, you know, but the more we switch those thoughts over and over and over again, it starts to stick. It just takes time. And that's the hardest part, right? Because especially with combining, you know, we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about diet. And even in my household, I try to get the, I have two daughters and I try to reframe what the word diet means in our house. So diet means just what you put in your mouth. It's not associated with weight loss or any of that. It's just, what's your diet? My diet is I follow a vegetarian diet. That's my diet. So even trying to, in my household, trying to reclaim that word instead of it being associated with, oh, I need to lose weight or I need to do this. But it is really that that is hard. And I find that particularly with running, because running is so metrics based in terms of your pace and your distance and are you getting faster? When you start working with people, is there a for a lack of lack of better phrasing of this question, is there like a dip in performance when people start to eat better? Or because I, I feel like you'll have a lot of people and I don't know if you've read Lauren Fleshman's book. Have you read oh, her? No, I haven't read hers yet. Okay. So I there's so, so many good running books out there now. <laughs> so many great books. But she talks a lot about bodies and eating disorders yeah. in her book and how people or the women that she was talking about, how they're at that time when they were not eating well, they were performing really well. And once their body started going through puberty and just the hormonal changes of being a woman, because our bodies change and shift, their paces dipped or they hit a running plateau. So I'm curious if, if that's something that happens with people that maybe you're coming, I'm coming to you and we'll, we'll kind of, again, the exaggeration of a marathon, I'm coming to you. My PR is four hours and I start working with you and we start eating better. And the training plan is for four hours, but race day comes and let's assume I run like a four fifteen, right? Am I, am I going to be, I don't know. Does the athlete attribute that to the training? Do they attribute that to food eating because I was running faster when I was dieting? And now that I'm not, does that happen or am I just making up a scenario and like and making it more complicated than it needs to be? Yeah, I mean, and it, it's going to be probably not the clearest answer because it depends, right? Especially like race day. When race day comes, so many factors play a role here, you know, where you need to not be sick. You need to have great weather and like the conditions and the mindset and the training and the nutrition. And so many factors go into race day. So it's hard to put 
all those eggs in one basket, but we can still look at the training overall. Like, are you still getting faster overall? And it really, really depends. And I'll give you two different scenarios, maybe three. Um, so there, you had mentioned puberty. And so that is its own thing. Yes. Um, I saw that firsthand through my high school, college experience. A lot of runners can get really, really good in high school um, because they often, you know, if you're a pretty avid runner, your puberty is usually a little bit delayed. And so I see a lot of runners not transfer to college as well, um, just because of whether it be the coaching changes, the mileage changes or hitting puberty, um, or they're really good, like freshman, sophomore year of high school. And then they do hit puberty and then like maybe struggle more their senior year. So puberty and hormones certainly play a role. And so that's one like separate side, but then in terms of nutrition, what can happen? And I've seen this firsthand with some of the friends that I run with and then clients that I work with as well. And I guess in a way, even in my own life, but, um, you know, under fueling and weight loss. Okay. Listen to the whole sentence before you like click off, like don't end the podcast now. Cause I'm not like, I got to finish the full thought. <laughs> um, I, running and weight loss, you will get faster. Now, if I stopped there, you'd be like, great. Okay. Heard everything I need, but it only works for a very short period of time before it just implodes. You cannot maintain under fueling. It leads to overtraining. You will get injured sooner or later. Um, you will not be able to continue to build training cycle after training cycle. You will not be able to recover. You will not be able to build that muscle mass. It, it will work for a short period of time. And I think that's what people see. They're like, oh, I'm dieting. I'm on, I'm on the keto diet. I'm intermittent fasting. I'm doing, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, and I'm getting faster. But again, you're only seeing that short term. What's it going to happen next year? You cannot maintain that. And I can almost promise you that. So what happens when we start fueling right? Now, it depends, right? It depends on how poorly you were fueling. I'm not going to say when you start fueling right, you're always going to run slower because that's definitely not true. I think a lot of my runners fall into the category that you do, Steph, where like if you're not eating right before those morning runs, you're going to run so much faster when you start fueling right, right? You know, so it the answer to that question is really vague because it really depends. But I will say with full confidence that under fueling or dieting, um, any sort of restriction, I should say, is only going to work um, in terms of a successful running career for a, a, a season at best. And then it's going to end up taking you in the wrong direction. How would you say, or how do you explain it to people so that they get it, that underfueling leads to overtraining? What are some of the signs and the markers of that, that someone could be like, oh, I'm kind of going down this path and maybe I need to make a change because we hear under fueling and maybe maybe we can start off with in your, in your approach, what is considered under fueling? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So to me, I describe under fueling, um, let's say for starters, if you're not eating a minimum of three balanced meals a day, that's a red flag. If you either don't have hunger cues at all, that's a red flag. Mm. Or if you do have hunger cues and you're ignoring them, that's another red flag. If you're skipping pre and or post run, um, these are red flags for very likely to be under fueling. So those are kind of like the four big ones that I look for. Um, and then there's so many more, like, you know, one thing that I used to do is like, I can only eat at certain times of day, right? Like lunch had to be at this time and snack had to be at this time. And that is ultimately a form of ignoring your hunger cues, right? You're following the clock versus your body. That's going to quickly mm. lead you to under fueling. Um, but then in terms of overtraining, like some signs and symptoms to really spot that, you know, we're looking at, are you feeling chronically fatigued? Um, are you feeling so exhausted, you know, and you're really cranky or irritable? Like that was definitely me when I was in that phase of like, you know, my husband would be late coming home for dinner and it like threw my whole plan all out the window. And I was so worked up because he was 10 minutes late for <laughs> dinner. Like that's not normal. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I still want him to be home for dinner, but to be <laughs> that cranky about it, um, you know, or like you have, um, 
you know, you're just recovering really poorly. Uh, actually, poor sleep is actually a sign of overtraining as well. And so these are some of the telltale signs. Um, also, if you're training and training and training and you're not getting any faster, you're really hitting a plateau. That's a red flag that we need to look more into underfueling and overtraining. And the one thing I would say is like a misconception is that overtraining only happens to high mileage runners and it doesn't. You can be, you know, I've had so many runners tell me, well, I'm only running three days a week. I can't be overtraining. But think about it. I'm a really visual person. And Stephanie sees me talking with my hands over here. But um, oh <laughs> um, so think about it in terms of like a graph almost. If you're over, you know, you don't necessarily be needing, you don't need to be running high mileage if your nutrition isn't there. If there's a gap between your nutrition and your running, the bigger that gap, that falls into overtraining. Mm. Um, so you can be, you know, if you're running high mileage, but you're eating enough, that's going to really help your overtraining syndrome um, or, you know, make it non-existent essentially. But even if you're running those three days a week and you're running, you know, not doing a whole lot of running, but you're not eating enough, there's a gap. There's a disconnect there. Does that make sense? That does make a lot of sense. And I find it, I just find it so interesting because our bodies will try really hard to make things happen and then it stops because it really it does not have the fuel to do that and i know for me something that's really helped me is to come to see food as fuel and not so much food as food and yeah. But I think my ability to do that, to make that switch was once I started to see myself as an athlete, because when I was just, oh, Stephanie, like running for a hobby and I still run for a hobby, but now I'm like, no, I'm an athlete. Like I, I am dedicated to this sport. I am consistent with it. I get heartbroken by it. I get totally happy by it. I feel the entire gamut of emotions when it comes to this sport. And again, the dedication is there. So I feel that for myself, I was able to start to see food differently once I accepted myself as an athlete. Is that something that you see with the people that you work with as well? Oh my gosh, 100%, like spot on. And I think, you know, people think, well, I'm not a runner or an athlete because I haven't run a marathon or I haven't done, uh, you know, or I don't run fast enough. I hear that a lot too. And, you know, I often, I, I say it jokingly, but I, I mean it, like if you run on purpose, you are a runner, you know, or if you exercise on purpose regularly, you are yeah. an athlete and that's it. Like it's not a check in the box. It's not a sub four hour marathon or it's not five marathons or it's not, I have to run Boston to be a runner. Like, no, it's, and then the more you enter that athlete mentality and you do recognize food as fuel and food is something that's going to nourish our bodies. Um, that's a total game changer moving forward. Yeah. So everyone, if you're listening, you're an athlete, start to view food differently. Can you talk about how the way you fuel connects to how you recover? Because mm. I feel like when people talk about recovery, they're thinking about, oh, the stretching, the, you know, the cupping or whatever fancy, fancy, schmancy thing. But no one, I don't feel like people really talk about the fridge. And yep. <laughs> how do you, how do you create that connection? Again, like how are we creating that connection between if you want to recover well in order to keep performing or to perform better or whatever the case is, nutrition is something that you need to factor into that. Oh my gosh. It's so important. I almost like laugh at, you know, people are spending so much money on all of these recovery tools when really what you're eating and your sleep habits are the biggest recovery tools you have. And so I'm not, not to say, you know, that, um, you know, like a Theragun and cupping and a massage, like those are great. And if you enjoy that, that's great too. But 
if you're not, if you're skipping your post-workout nutrition, then you're really missing out on a lot of the benefit of partly from your workout and also into your recovery. So, you know, when we're looking at post-run nutrition, we want to be thinking carbs and protein. Mm -hmm. I think there's a big push, especially in, you know, like the gym world um, or CrossFit world that like protein, 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 but you know what? you need those carbohydrates on board in order for protein to go do its job. And so without boring you all with the science, but when you run, you deplete your muscle glycogen stores. So those are the stored carbs in your muscles. When you are running, especially over an hour, 90 minutes, you are really depleted. There's almost nothing stored in your muscles or in your liver. So eating carbs immediately after your run your body's going to soak all those carbs up and start restoring all of those carbohydrates in our muscles and in our liver that you're going to use throughout the day and certainly on your next workout. And then obviously the protein comes in and it comes in. I always picture it as like, they're the ones that protein comes in and like fixes up all your muscles and like stitches everything back together and makes the muscles, you know, fixes all, all those micro tears in there. That's protein's job. But protein can't appropriately do that if you don't have the carbs on board. So you need both in order to recover and timing is huge. We don't want to delay that nutrition. You want to try to eat, you know, you maybe have heard um, if you look up any running research or nutrition, it's like this window of opportunity, this 30 minute golden window. And while this is true, the sooner you eat, the better. It's not like, you know, lights out at 30 minutes, you know, I mean, if, if you're within that hour post-workout, you're going to be doing your body a lot of benefit. So even if you don't feel like eating, a smoothie, a milkshake, like a yogurt parfait, something cool, cold to lower your body temperature and get that nutrition in is going to make a huge difference in terms of recovery. I think that's something that I learned from you actually of, and I, 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 it almost felt like it gave me permission because I had it in my mind that I had to eat something solid. And I was like, that's kind of hard. Like after some runs chewing, I just don't want to chew. But I, I believe you had something, I don't know, weeks ago, months ago, timing. I don't know what time is anymore in my life, but I believe you had something that was like drinks, like here are drinks that you can do that you can have afterwards. And for me, it was a light bulb moment, but also permission to do that instead, because there are days where chewing and eating and feeling something heavier in my stomach feels just, it's not appetizing. Yeah. I have a question that it sounds silly in my head, but let's see if anyone else has ever asked you this. Does fueling properly after a workout help with feelings of soreness? Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Um, it's, I call it the three R's of recovery. We need to replenish our carbohydrate stores, repair our muscles with protein and rehydrate with water and electrolytes. And that's going to make a huge difference in how sore you are. Absolutely. Okay. Cause as I was hearing you talk, I'm like, wait a minute. Is she saying that if I fuel properly, I won't feel as sore because that's motivation too. I like to walk upstairs. I like to be able to sit on a toilet, like do those things <laughs> without feeling incredibly sore. So that is, that's really interesting. Okay. Let's kind of go back because I had in my mind, and I had heard this recently or not recently again, because time is really weird. Carbs before a run for energy, protein after a run for repair. But what you're saying is after your run, you do need carbs and protein. And I know for myself, it gets really confusing when I start seeing the ratios of how much to this to how much to that. And for me, it, that's just not, that's not accessible at my, I'm like how you speak with your hands. I'm, I do as well, but I'm also very visual. So like, if I hear two to three on this, I'm like, wait, what are you talking? Show me a picture. Like show me a half avocado with, or whatever. I don't know. Like that to me is more accessible and more manageable. Do you use that kind of language? And if so, how is it that you explain it to people so that they can understand? 
Yeah. So in terms of post run, you're right. There's this like talk always of like a uh, three to one ratio, three <laughs> grams of pro or three grams of carbohydrates to one gram of protein. Um, and that can feel really confusing to somebody. And I would say for one, don't stress over it. Like if it's going to add stress to your day, it's not worth it. There's so many other things to stress over. Um, but what that would look like is, gosh, I mean, it could look like anything. It depends on like what kind of food you like, but the simplest option would be some sort of like protein shake, right? Um, or like a smoothie. And so if you used a protein powder, um, like a basic whey, it would probably be about one scoop of a whey protein powder is going to bring you somewhere right around 20, 25 grams of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And then you can mix that into, let's just say almond milk for those that are, you know, lactose intolerant um, or don't like dairy. So we mix it into almond milk. Almond milk has almost nothing in it. Um, you know, there's not a lot of carbs, no, no protein. Sorry, spoiler alert. Almond milk doesn't have any protein. Um, <laughs> but you can mix that with, you know, blend it up with um, one banana. That's almost like 30 grams of carbs. And okay. then um, you can add, you know, a, a cup of like mixed berries. That'll probably bring you pretty close to, um, 60 grams of carbs total. Um, and so something like that, I mean, you can, you can add granola to the top. You can, I mean, there's so many options you can add honey into it. Um, but that's kind of what it would look like. Um, so 60 grams of carbs, 20 grams of protein is that ratio that's ideal after those longer, harder workouts, not after like a three mile run. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Like I said, for me, it's more tell me what to eat. Don't tell me the the numbers because that's, I just, I don't want to compute that. So we've talked a lot about like post-run. I'm curious on your thoughts about pre-run, what, not what people should eat, but I guess just your suggestions for things to consider eating. For me, the game changer was Again, I don't know where I saw this, but it was graham crackers. They're like graham crackers. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I love graham crackers. I can eat graham crackers at all hours of the day. They're, they're so good. So once I saw that, I'm like, this is a treat. All of a sudden, I like I actually want to eat before my runs because I know I have graham crackers there for me. And then also during a run, because as I shared, I went through a period of, of going into my runs fasted, but then also trying not to have anything during my runs, because I don't know what I was thinking. Do not, do not do that. So I would go out for hour plus long runs and I wouldn't fuel. And then I started again with my study of one of one, which is me with the <laughs> London marathon training cycle. I approached it as, okay, I'm going to have a gel every 30 minutes. I'm going to have a gel every 30 minutes. And holy smokes for me, did that make such a huge difference? So I had my graham crackers before, and then every 30 minutes, it doesn't, whether it was the race day or a training run, it was every 30 minutes, I would do that. And it made such a big difference. So again, what are some general guidelines or like suggestions that you would give people, because I feel like there's also a lot of information out there about how, if you're waking up first thing in the morning, you don't need to eat. Or if you're on a run, that's less than an hour, you don't need to eat. And I can say for myself now, and I don't know if it's just, I've conditioned my body, but even if I'm going for an hour long run at that 30 minute mark, I'm having a gel. Like it doesn't matter the pace that I'm running. 30 minutes, I'm having that gel. And I, I tell myself, or even just, you know, on a seven mile run, which now at my age takes me, takes me about um, 75 to 80 minutes at that point. So I take my gel at 30 and then I take it at 60 and that gel at 60, I'm like, I don't even know if you're doing anything for me, but let's pretend you're going to help me recover. And so that I'm finishing yeah. not totally empty. So what are some of your guidelines or just in general, your thoughts on how to fuel before a run and then how to fuel during a run? Yeah. So, I mean, in, in short, cause this could be a whole hour class in itself. Um, but I would say hands down, nailing your pre-run fuel is going to change everything for you. Um, and so I want to start by saying 
if you see something on Instagram that says don't fuel before your run or you shouldn't fuel before, you know, anything less than an hour, I would stop right there and I would check the source. Is this person a dietitian? If it's not a dietitian, unfollow that account or or don't follow the information at least at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're only providing nutrition information, then don't, like you want credible sources. There's, I mean, anybody can put anything on the, on the internet, on Instagram, on YouTube, on whatever. So really verify the source first. It should be from a dietitian or, um, you know, like Stacey Sims isn't technically a dietitian, but she's like a doctor of nutritional sciences. Like, you know, really check your sources. Um, so that's step one. <laughs> step two is especially for female runners, which I know this podcast is really geared towards. And so is my business. You need to fuel before your runs, like hands down. Um, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. And here's why. Again, I don't want to bore y'all with science, but I think it's important to know it so that it's not just like somebody once said I should do this. Um, when we wake up in the morning, our liver glycogen, our stored carbohydrates in our liver is pretty much empty. Um, maybe we have some muscle glycogen if we fueled well the, the day before. It depends. Mm. Um, and our blood sugar is low. And to top it off, our cortisol, our stress hormone is actually high. And that's normal. That's not a bad thing. That's what gets you up and gets you out of bed. That's kind of that like get gets you going in the morning. And so when we run fasted without eating anything, we're already at a deficit, right? We've already used mm-hmm. all of our liver glycogen overnight. Again, we don't know if our muscle glycogen is fully stocked. It depends on the day before. Cortisol level is high. When we run fasted, that cortisol level only increases if we don't eat something. So we're already a little low on energy and that now this cortisol level is really increasing And so what happens is we end up getting more muscle breakdown and more fat storage because that cortisol level is so high. And so none of this is what we want out of a run, right? We don't want to have low energy. We don't want to have more fat storage and we don't want to have more muscle breakdown. And this can be solved by eating before we run, even if it's a three mile run. And, you know, I think what we get, especially through marathon training is what I call in intensity blindness, you know, oh, it's only five miles, like five miles is still five miles, you know? And so you just get so used to running like 10 and 12 and 20 eventually. And so, you know, appreciate that three, four, five miles is still effort for your body. It's still stress on the body. So yes, we need to fuel, even if it's a short run, especially first thing in the morning. Um, And you do not need to wake up an hour or two hours early. Um, Before your long runs, you're going to need some more time to digest that food. But before your easy, you know, regular weekday runs, honestly, Stephanie, I'm a graham cracker girl myself. I eat my graham crackers like while I'm stretching and tying my shoes. You don't need a lot of time. And so that's the biggest pushback I have is, well, I don't want to, I already run at five in the morning. I don't want to get up any earlier. I'm not asking you to get up any earlier. I'm just asking you to eat your graham crackers while you stretch. Like that's it. And if you're not stretching, that's a whole issue in itself. So you should be doing some sort of warm up at which time you can eat your graham crackers. Um, but when we think about pre-run fuel, it needs to be simple carbohydrates, which is why graham crackers are so lovely. Animal crackers, dry cereal, a banana, a piece of white toast. Um, you, you know, I love like a little bit of toast with some honey drizzled on top of it. Simple, easy to digest carbohydrates, nothing high fiber, nothing high fat. Um, we just don't want to slow down that digestion. We want simple, quick digestion and that should be your pre-run, but don't skip that pre-run. It's, it will, that also will help you recover faster too. So, okay. I That's love pre-run. how it's, yeah, I was going to say, I love how it's all a cycle though, because here we're talking about pre-run, but you mentioned how you fueled the day before, right? Yes. It's not just, it's, it's, it's not just what you're eating right before your run. And I think that comes with that athlete mentality of, no, this whole, all these days are connected. Everything is connected. So I I love that because it's, it just makes it more. It's not, I'm not just worried about tomorrow's run tomorrow. I'm actually thinking about tomorrow's run today. Yep. 
Absolutely. Especially your dinner the night before GI wise has a huge impact on your run um, energy level. You know, if you have a long run the next day, you need to be thinking about starting to increase those carbohydrates at a minimum the dinner before. And if you're increasing those carbs, you want to decrease those veggies because we do not want all that fiber sitting in our belly on that long run. So um, we're really changing the way that you fuel the day before for the next day is really, um, I, I feel like my like motto, this podcast is like, it's a game changer. Um, but it's a game changer, you know, it really is. So, um, but I do want to touch real quick on you had asked about long run fueling. And like I said, that could be a whole lesson in itself, but I would say first and foremost, practice what you're going to do on race day. You have to practice, which is what Stephanie is doing. She's doing, you know, she's practicing her gels, on shorter runs. It doesn't have to be reserved for long runs. In fact, one of the biggest things I've learned through working with my clients is practicing taking gels. If you're somebody that does interval workouts or marathon pace workouts, practice taking those gels when you're running at pace. That I'm not going to say is a game changer, but you know what I want to say. Um, so, but really it, it's going to help so much because even just opening the gel at that faster pace or digesting it when, you know, you're breathing heavier or you got a little bit of a side stitch going on that helps you on race day. Because if you're only taking gels, when you're running these nice, slow, easy, lovely runs, it's not the same as race day. So you want to practice taking those gels, not only on your long run days, but on your intense days as well. It, not everybody trains that way. I understand that. But if you're somebody who does do marathon pace work or intervals or hill sprints, take, you know, practice taking at least one gel on those days, but in a nutshell, taking a gel or, you know, there's so many products on the, on the market. There's the waffles, there's the chews, there's the, you know, you could do real food with like Swedish fish or um, gummies. You, there's so many options. So find what works for you. It doesn't have to be a gel, but gels are easy to carry. Um, so, you know, practice with your gels. You really want about 30 grams of carbs coming in about every 30 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and this becomes even more important when you reach that 90 minute mark. If you're going to run 90 minutes or more, then you really need to start replenishing because your body just can't store enough carbohydrates. That's when we really start to, you know, go into the well and start to kind of feel that bonk um, sensation. And Stephanie's right. You know, the more gel you take on your run to some extent, you know, we don't want to make ourselves sick, but it is going to help your recovery, um, you know, so that you're not ending that run totally depleted. You have some carbohydrate stores left at the end of that run. Okay. See, I'm glad this experiment of one has been, <laughs> I'm listening to you and I'm like, all right, Steph, like, and I think part of it too, is talk about, you mentioned the intuitiveness of it because I started doing that. Yes. I, I heard about it. I read about it, but also I just started feeling better. So I'm like, wait, I'm actually going to push it. Like even on that seven mile run, I'm, I'm going to, even if it's, uh, you know, 70 minutes, at that 60 minute mark, I'm like, I'm going to take something. I'm just going to do it. So I'm glad that there is, I just want to pat myself on the shoulder because again, I've been running for a while and there's always something new to learn about yeah. myself, which brings me to this question. This will be the second to last question. Okay. As a woman, we're going to, we're going to bring it back to, to the womanhood. So as a woman, and again, I'm going to use myself as an example because I felt that when I was in my 20s, I could get away with a lot. <laughs> I could get away with a lot. And now as a, as a, as a, like, I'm going to be 40 next year. I'm very excited about that because I find that being able to age is such a gift, but it's also really frustrating because I can't get away with the same things that I used to get away with. Like I remember when I was in my twenties and I was running, I didn't have to have breakfast and I was totally fine. I would roll out of bed, use the bathroom, head out and I would be okay. Now I can't even think about doing that because my body is going to get angry with me and I want my body to be happy because I want to keep doing this thing that I love to do. 
how do our needs for nutrition, and this is a big question, I apologize, but how do our needs for nutrition change across the lifespan, right? So 20s, I can get away with a lot. 30s, I'm not getting away with as much. 40s, menopause, perimenopause, where hormones are going to kind of be all over the place. How do you how do you offer comfort? Because I feel like people don't talk enough about how our nutritional needs as women change across the lifespan. And to be told I need more protein feels kind of scary. <laughs> like it's silly, but it does feel kind of scary to think that I'm going to need more protein in order to have the same muscle mass and all that. How, just how, how, how do we do that? Yeah. Um, so you're right. That is a big question. And I would say to anybody who like wants to learn so much more about that, Dr. Stacy Sims is fantastic. Um, she wrote the book RAR, which is all about female athletes and how to feel appropriately as a female athlete. Um, and then she has a second book out now that is more about menopause and perimenopause and how your needs change. So if you want to read so much more about that, I would say turn to her. She is the absolute like best in the business, I think, at that. Um, but you're right. You do need more protein. I, I hate that. Um, that's the information I'm about to lay on you. But as you age, you know, and let's keep in mind too, you can get away with more in your 20s, but it doesn't mean it's right. You know, like, yeah, you can get away with not fueling before your run, but we don't want to just get away with it. We want to take the best care of our bodies. So just because, you know, you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Um, so there's that aspect. And so, <laughs> um, so, you know, we want to make sure we're treating our bodies well at every stage. Um, but then, you know, as we do get a little bit older, especially into our forties and like, we're looking towards menopause protein does it require, we require more protein to maintain our muscle mass, but also we digest carbs a little bit differently. And it's mm -hmm. not to say that you need to enter into a low carb diet. It's just that the way we digest carbs, we want to spread them out well throughout our day. You know, you still want carbs at every meal, but we want to make sure that we're not eating these huge meals or going really long times in between meals, just, you know, <laughs> balancing our day out carbs and protein together. Um, but otherwise the good news is that the same overall principles still apply the same pre-run, the same post-run, like, you know, balanced plates and like, you know, you can still do all the same things. It's just a little bit of like the proportions of the meals change a little bit. And that's kind of all that you have to worry about. It's not that you need to overhaul your diet or do anything drastically different. That's good to know because I am just, again, as someone who is aging through life, I, and I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'm aging through life and kind of reflecting on my, I, I want to call it my evolution as a runner, because I'm still figuring myself out. I'm still figuring out the nutrition piece, how to feel best on my runs, how, what, what does my relationship with running, what does it look like as I continue to age? And I appreciate that because there's so much unknown, I feel, when it comes to aging gracefully as a woman and aging in a way that does feel good and does feel nourishing, right? To use to use that that word nourishing in a way of like, okay, this is my body. This is how I have to treat it. And I feel good about it regardless of how it looks. Like it's still able to perform in the way that I want it to perform. And my response to that in gratitude is to feed my body well. So I, I appreciate that because again, there's, I'm like, I feel like I know how you should eat, but at the same time, there is, there's, there's just hormonal changes or there's the relationship to food changes, I guess, through, for me, for me personally, it has changed throughout the lifespan. Again, I was not a vegetarian before and now I am. And there's, that's a whole new arena to figure out how to eat when, when I'm not getting the traditional protein sources. So I just, it's, to me, it's, being a woman and being a female athlete and figuring all this out is really, really fascinating because again, like 
like we talked about, I'm, I am going to need more protein the older I get and I'm not going to bulk up from it. Like it's not going to do anything crazy, but it is going to help maintain this lifestyle that I do enjoy. Yep, absolutely. And I think it's important to like appreciate that we we do age and we're supposed to age, right? Like I think, mm-hmm. again, not to continue to like bash our society, but like there's this like anti-aging cream and anti-aging da-da-da, you know, like it's okay to age. Like we're supposed to age, you know, like your bodies are supposed to change. Like we go through puberty, we go through, you know, sometimes pregnancy and postpartum and menopause and like these are life changes. And it's like, we don't need to hide those changes and we just need to like embrace them. And as long as you're feeling good, that's what matters. It's not, you know, it's not about what society thinks and it's not like, don't put all that external pressure on yourself. It's normal to change and it's normal for our bodies to go through these major milestones. Yeah, I'm doing my best to embrace it, especially as the mother of two girls. And I want them to see like, oh, this is what womanhood is like. And this is what embracing yourself and loving yourself across different phases looks like. So final question. And it's a good one. It's a question that I ask at the end of every single episode. The question is, how can we make running more accessible and inclusive? Mm, Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think I love running groups and I think, you know, starting running groups, even if it's a a small group and just saying, if you want to join at any pace, like that's the best, like that's the biggest message is like, I have so many people tell me, oh, I can't run with you because you run too fast. I will run whatever pace you want. Like, you know, I just come out and enjoy the run. And I think running is such a gift. And when we can share it with somebody and we can like show them how enjoyable it really is. So just like setting up that time and that meeting place to let it be a space where you can gather together and, you know, run any pace at any distance with, you know, whatever shoes you have, whatever gear you've got. Like, I just think that is such a gift. Running is one of my favorite sports because, you know, it's so different than the triathlon. You don't need the fancy bike. You don't need, you know, the swim gear. You don't need, you just need a pair of shoes. And even then people argue, you don't even need shoes. So, um, you know, I think that's the best way to make it inclusive is to just show people that we're open and the running community is so, so friendly. And if you can bring somebody to a race, oh my gosh, that really will get them hooked. Cause I think y'all know when you leave a race, you're like on a high from just the excitement and the community, um, and the running community itself, I do believe is really inclusive, but the more we, we bring new runners in and allow them to, to run whatever pace they want. You know, I often, I love the show friends and I often think of the way Phoebe runs on friends and she's flailing her arms and she's, you know, almost like <laughs> dancing while she runs and Rachel's all embarrassed. By her. Um, but like, that's, I love that. Like come as you are, come at any pace, come in whatever clothes you've got. And let's just, just run and chat together. I love that. And I always say there's two things that I say. One is that we're we're all one connection away from falling in love with this sport. So why not be that connection for someone? Right. Like, why not? And another thing is that and and to to your point about pace is always like you can slow down. Right. Like aerobic is aerobic. And you can slow down if it makes it welcoming for other people. I know for myself, I always, I, there's something in my experience where people with the number 12 and 13, they're like, I can't run with you because I run a 12 minute mile, 13 minute mile. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That sounds like so much fun. (laughs) That sounds really enjoyable to slow down that much. That sounds really fun. So it's don't assume what someone else is willing to do to keep you company and to bring you on. Don't assume, don't, don't use pace as an excuse for not showing up. So I really appreciate that. And I lied because I do have one final question and it's just, it's just for you to tell us where we can connect with you. Aside from having a baby, what else is coming up for you? That's really exciting that you're looking forward to that we can celebrate you in. 
Yeah. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. Um, so you can definitely find me on Instagram. That's my primary platform. It's at eatwell.runbetter. I have a website there with all my links as well. You can find me there, but Instagram is kind of my landing page. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode or want to talk more about anything that we talked about, feel free to just drop me a line. I actually do read my messages. I am a human. And I, I do read them all. Um, and so, you know, I'm always welcome to, to feedback or just dropping me a line to say, hey, I love that. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. I am having a baby in August, uh, hopefully not any sooner, but August <laughs> is what I'm braced <laughs> for. Um, it's actually really sweet. My son will turn two on the day of my due date. So they will be potentially exactly two years apart. We said about two years was a good gap and boy, did we nail it. Um, yeah, so you really did. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, you know? Um, so anyways, um, yes, baby in August. So, um, you pray prayers that, you know, all goes well. Um, but, and then lastly, I, because I'm taking a maternity leave, I'm taking a step back from my nutrition coaching program. And instead I'm going to be turning my program into a self-paced course, which is really great because you can do it anywhere, anytime, keep it forever. And it comes at a more affordable price. And so we just are putting that all together right now. You can see that um, it'll be launched in July, uh, end of June, early July. Um, and I'm calling that um, a runner's guide to intuitive eating and fueling. So a lot of what we talked about here, but really meshing that intuitive eating piece with how to fuel as a runner and what that really means in this, in this crazy world that we're living in and how to put this all together. That sounds like a fourth baby. That just sounds like another baby putting all that together because I'm sure that too has been a labor of love for you. So thank you for creating yes. all of that. Thank you for being on the podcast and for chatting with me on all things fuel. Everyone, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've learned a lot and I am excited to put some of the things that you said into practice. So Courtney, thank you so, so much for being here. Everyone, we'll see you next time. Any final words, Courtney? No, just thank you again. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. How to fuel as runner is probably one of the most confusing things about running. Each person is unique and their fueling strategy should reflect their uniqueness. However, there are some things that are true game changers for runners, like nailing pre-run fueling and remembering that weight and health are not synonymous. Courtney, thank you for helping us better understand how to fuel and how to do so as female athletes. For more on Courtney, give her a follow on Instagram at eatwell.runbetter and check out her website at eatwellrunbetter.com coaching. How do you feel for running? I would love to hear about your experience. You can reach out to me on Instagram at the cookie runner or through my website at thecookierunner.net. You can also support this podcast with a rating review or a share until next time run happy, run strong and run true to you.